Well, I'm sure a lot of us could relate to that story in some way. And that's one of the great things about having people be able to share. And, you know, it's not always the same. And sometimes we relate more or less in a particular week. But a fantastic story and great to understand God's love the way that uh, Erica has come to understand it. Uh, very excited about continuing our series today. We're going to get to uh, Hebrews 11 in just a moment. Actually, Hebrews 10 which is sort of the theme scripture for our short series that we begun, and I'll remind you of that in just a few moments. Uh, I did want to mention that last Sunday was Super Bowl Sunday. And, you know, um, I don't know, some of you sound less than enthused, but it, uh, it was an interesting game for sure, and I had a great time with uh, some of my buddies watching the game and enjoying uh, time there as well. I didn't really care who won, but I wanted to share with you the best thing about my Super Bowl Sunday was the lunch that I had after church last Sunday. And I want to tell you about that because there's a, uh, a young man I want to introduce to you. Uh, he also became a Christian when he was a teenager. He was 15 years old and he was living out in the San Fernando Valley and he was part of our church out there, the Los Angeles church out there. And this was probably, what, 15 years ago, and he was 15 years old, and he was met because uh, one of the teen girls, he was in a, living in an apartment complex, one of the teen girls lived there, and he was just hanging out on the steps of the apartment with one of his buddies one day, and she invited him to come to church, and for some reason he came. Anyway, uh, he ended up becoming part of the church and being baptized into Christ, but what happened over a period of years is that you know, there were things going on at home that he was embarrassed about. There were tough situations. I mean, Erica was very open sharing about her situation and the challenges she had at home. And he had a lot of challenges of his own that were very intense. And when we had lunch on Sunday, he shared those with me. And, I mean, it was tough, but he didn't feel comfortable sharing them with anybody else. So none of his friends in the church knew about what was always going on. And then over time, that was wearing on him, and then sin and temptation come in as they do. But again, because he wasn't that kind of person, he never really learned how to share what was really going on in his life, he didn't tell anybody. So what you might imagine happened after seven or eight years, he drifted away, and he just stopped practicing his faith at all, and he was not a part of our church anymore and such. But an interesting thing had happened. During that time, he was in the team ministry and in the campus for a while. He met this guy, Dave Palafox. And uh, Dave is in our millennial ministry now. Dave and he were college students at the same time. And they were never even in the same ministry. But he met him at like a campus retreat or a campus event. And they just kind of connected. And sometimes it works that way. And even after he left the church, even though they'd never been in the same ministry, Dave Palafox kept reaching out to his friend, Ernie Belmont. And so Ernie, this went on for several years. And then just in the last year or so, uh, Ernie started coming back and he's building, rebuilding his faith. And so, you know, I, I just had this wonderful lunch where I just ate my Subway sandwich and I asked Ernie questions. And Ernie shared his story. And it was just so encouraging. And it... On, on many different levels. I got to the store at the end. I go, well, you know, you're coming back to the church. It's great to have you again. And you're ready to make Jesus Lord of your life and every area of your life again. And 
What do you think is going to be different now? What do you think is the difference now or will be the difference for you going forward? Because, you know, you had these challenges you left before. He says, what happened now is through the relationships with Dave and the other guys that I've gotten to know in our small group and such over the last few, I have learned now that it's okay to share what's really going on in my life and that I can be open about challenges that I'm facing personally. I can be open about sin and temptation and I don't and that I can get help from them. And I think that's what's going to be different. And it just, I was so proud of our church when I heard this story. I was so proud of, of Dave Palafox, who just persisted over many years reaching out to somebody that he didn't even really know that well, just because he cared. And I was so proud of our church that the guys and Dave and the other people that were involved there had been the kind of people that had loved Ernie enough so that he felt like it was safe for him to be open about what was really going on in his life. And that's the vision that I have for all of our relationships in this church, where we can be uh, champions for each other, we can support each other, and it's just so inspiring to me, and just so proud of the whole group there. But anyway, I wanted to just tell you a little bit about that and, and recognize Ernie is uh, being restored to the fellowship here. He's sitting up top. Ernie, stand up. Wave. Ernie doesn't want to stand up, but he did wave. What color shirt is that you're wearing, Ernie? It's aqua or teal. Okay. So uh, Ernie is up there. He's the aqua or teal guy. But a great guy. I hope you'll get to know him. And I think... I want to share that story because it leads in a great way into what we're doing here. This series that I began just a couple of weeks ago, and I'll review and we'll look at our theme scripture here, is how to motivate one another. How to motivate one another, help each other along in our faith. And so I want to remind you of what we read in uh, Hebrews chapter 10 when we started this uh, just a couple of weeks ago. In Hebrews chapter 10, and this was written to some people, some Jewish Christians who were beginning to lose their faith. And the writer of the Hebrew letter believes that there's something they need to be doing in order to help each other, to strengthen their faith and to really, you know, keep them from losing their faith. And so he says in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And if you're here, you might remember that we talked about how important motivation is. Motivation matters. And all of us need people in our lives to motivate us. And in fact, no area of your life will you be everything that you could be. If you don't have people there to help you and to motivate you along the way, that is true above all in the pursuit of our faith. We need people to help us in along in our faith. And so that's why it says here very clearly, we need to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. He says we need to encourage one another and If you were here, you remember that a lot of us don't understand what that means. The Bible many times says encourage one another. But that word, if you look back in the original 
Greek language that it was written in, the word encourage means to motivate, to stimulate, to move somebody forward. And so that's what we're supposed to be doing. And what a beautiful thing if you're in a church where it's a real family and they're real connections and they're real relationships and all of us together are motivating each other in our faith. Isn't that a great picture? Isn't that a wonderful picture? And that's the picture we want to develop. However, here's the, here's the challenge. It says we need to consider how to do this and that we all need to be doing this. And it's not just for the leaders and it's not just for the, the you know, Risa Mary Kay. And if you know much about the Bible, you know that Romans says that there is a gift of encouragement. And so some people actually have a very special ability to be, you, met, you ever met somebody like that? Uh, who's got a special ability to motivate you and motivate you in your faith and, and all that. But even if you don't have that gift, we're all supposed to be doing that for each other. And we need to figure this out. So this series, this short series, you say, well, how short is it? I don't know. I'm not well known for my short series. So I'm going to tell you now that it's going to last at least the next three weeks and it might be longer. We'll see. But I think the challenge is when it comes to motivating other people, it often seems like a mystery to us. And it seems intimidating. Maybe you even feel that way right now. I mean, I know people that are very motivating. You probably know them as well. And sometimes I sit back and look at them and I go, what makes them? I can't even figure it out. Why? You know, I know they're motivating, but I don't know why they are. And so what I want to hope to do, that wasn't a good sentence, what I want to hope to do, you know, what I'm hoping to do, what I'm planning to do, is I want us to look at Jesus' example. And we're going to read several different stories about Jesus And I'm going to try to simplify it for us so that it's something that all of us can, you know, just kind of practically grab onto and we'll know how to get some ideas about how to help motivate. And was anybody a better motivator than Jesus? You know, even if you don't know anything about the Bible or believe the Bible necessarily, uh, the Jesus had to be the master motivator of all time. Because what he did, if you know the story, is he chose 12 men who were described by other people as unschooled and ordinary. And why, through his relationship with them and by motivating them, he put them in a position where even after he was gone, after he had died on a cross, after he'd been raised from the dead, they went out and turned the world upside down. And all of us that are... Uh, followers of Jesus, 2,000 some years later and across oceans, it's all because Jesus, primarily because Jesus was able to connect and to motivate these unschooled, ordinary men. And so, you know, I hope I get all the teenagers' attention now. Because I want you to know, and, all, and I want you to understand this in all humility, you are in school, but you are not yet schooled. You are in school, but you are still unschooled. Albert, do you know that? 
Yeah, well, I, you know, I felt like I needed to put you in your place. But anyway, um, I didn't really know that, but your parents told me that. So anyway, here we are. So I want us to look at some examples. And it's great we have, uh, you know, some of our newest members here, Bob and Barb Harpole. Maybe you met them yet. Good friends of ours. And so if you're taking notes or paying attention, I only do one-point sermons. And so most of the people here, their members know that. Uh, it makes it simple. I didn't necessarily decide to do that because I knew you were going to be a part of our ministry. But now that you are part of our ministry, I think this is really needed for you, the one-point sermon. So it'll be easy to get today. Can I do less than that? Well, well done, Bob. Well done. I can see this. Uh, we're going to have a wonderful relationship. See, he's already learned because he just got here. But, you know, you know, Rob Cosberg is in our ministry and he preaches a lot. And he was here last week. And so Rob and I carry on a running conversation, you know, when he was in our ministry uh, during the messages. And so uh, evidently Bob is going to be taking Rob's place and uh, we're going to have conversations during the message. So. Let's look over at John chapter 1. One thing I'm going to teach you, and the title of the lesson is, The Place to Start. If you want to be somebody who motivates somebody else in their faith, here is the place to start. And we're going to use Jesus as our example. And we're going to be beginning in uh, reading in John 1, verse 35 through 42. I think the scriptures will come up in a minute. But let me give you a little bit of context and set the scene for you. This is right before, we, in fact, we're going to read in here sort of the first public appearance of Jesus. Now, he had grown up in Galilee, and so he's about 30 years old now. And the prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, the Chosen One, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, all that had been prophesied in the Old Testament. And, and people were very interested in that for hundreds of years, the Jewish people. But particularly now, because this man who we call John the Baptist, we're going to read a little bit about him in this story, he had come just earlier. And for several months now, he was a prophet of God. He's been preaching, Jesus is coming but he is almost here. In fact, I am preaching to let you all know to get prepared and get ready. Because after all these hundreds of years, Jesus is coming. He's here. So John the Baptist, we call him. But he was preparing the way for Jesus. And so he had disciples. He had followers. And so we're reading this story here. And let's read together. And let's see what we learn from Jesus about how to motivate one another. In verse 35, it says, The next day, John, that's the guy I just told you about, John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples, two of his followers, when he saw Jesus passing by. You guys got a picture that you're there. You're with John the Baptist, big crowd. Jesus kind of walks by. He said, Look, the Lamb of God. And that phrase, the Lamb of God, it was, was uh, very understood by the Jewish people. They knew that these were the prophecies about Jesus and, and all that. So he was saying, this is the guy, this is the one, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, 
They followed Jesus. Now, if you've read this story before, there are parts of this story that can seem a little bit odd. And so I'm going to try to explain it to you and help you to understand that maybe it's not as strange as it might seem at first. But it seems a little bit odd. He says, so these two heard him say this. They decided to follow Jesus. That's right. So Jesus walking along, and I don't know how close they were following. I don't know if they were two steps behind or, you know, six feet behind. But anyway, Jesus perceives that they're following him. He says he asked, and he turned around. Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Now, there's two different ways you can ask that question. One of the ways you can go, what do you want? But I don't think that's the way Jesus asked the question, was it? I think Jesus said, what do you want? And he asked them a question in a very sincere way. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now, if you've read this story before, why did they ask that? We don't really know, and it might seem strange, but my theory is that they took Jesus' question seriously, and Jesus says, what do you want? And in their mind, they go, you know, if you really want to talk about what's in our heart and what we desire and what we want, it's going to take a little while. Where are you staying at? Are are you at the Marriott? Are you at the Holiday Inn? You know, where's your crib? Because... What we're going to need to do, if you really care to know, we're going to need to spend some time together and talk about it. So what does Jesus say? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went they were stay, where he was staying and spent the day with him. It was about the tenth hour. This is Jesus' first interaction with any of the men who would become disciples. He meets them. He ends up spending the whole day with them. And then let's just finish a little bit more of the story, and we'll talk about it. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. What a motivator Jesus is, right? One day, one afternoon, and the first thing Andrew does, and there's no record that he told him, that Jesus told him to do that, but he went out and he said, you know, i got to find my brother Peter and tell him that we have found the Messiah. This is the guy. After one afternoon with Jesus. So what's the one point? What is the place to start? If you want to be somebody who's effective in motivating others, the place to start is by asking questions. Has that ever occurred to you before? You know, Jesus was the master at asking questions. A great Bible study that you should do if you've never done it is just go through the four accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and see how many questions Jesus asked. If you look it up on the Internet, and I did... There's one guy on there that claims that he counted and that Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John asked over 300 questions. Now, many of them were repeated because some of the stories, of course, are parallel accounts are repeated. 
And you know what? I don't want to. I decided not to try to count them. But I don't think it's arguable that there are over a hundred unique questions that are written down that Jesus asked people during the during his days on and, and his time in the ministry. And this question that he asked was important because it was a question that allowed him to know Jesus what was on their heart, and what they were thinking so that he could best help them. Does that make sense to anybody here? Okay, we're doing good. Um, it should. Have you ever gotten with somebody and, you know, you were, maybe it was over anything, but it could be a spiritual thing, and they just start to sit down and they just start telling you what you needed to do? And, and, you're, and you're thinking there, you're thinking that, and they've made all kinds of assumptions about who you are and where you're coming from and what you need, and they're going to sit down with you and they're going to fill you in. You ever had that happen to you? How do you feel when that happens to you? You know, I just start thinking, you know, I don't know who you think you are, but you don't have a clue as to who I am. See, that wasn't the way that Jesus did. Jesus asked a lot of questions, and some of his questions had different purposes. Some of his questions were designed to convict people of sin. Some of his questions were designed to promote self-awareness. But some of his questions were what we might call high-mileage questions. The kind of questions where there's not a yes or no answer, and there's not a short answer, but they're designed to promote an understanding of who the person is that's sitting across from you. What they think. What they may feel. What's on their heart. What their desires are. What their dreams are. What they want to do with their life. And so Jesus says something that may be surprising to us. He takes these guys who are to be his first disciples and he says, I believe in a very... What is it you want? What are you looking for? And I believe that first question probably led to more questions. It was a long conversation. I imagine Jesus saying, okay, those are your dreams. Those, that's what you want. Why do you want that? How do you think you can find that? How can I help you get there? That's what motivating, that's what we need to be doing in the church. Can I just be honest with you? Everybody in here is a sinner. I know that was shocking, wasn't it? There are no Jesuses here. There's Jesus. Yeah, teens, listen to me now. There's Jesus, and then there's all the rest of us, and we're in this little bitty range here. And we're way down here. And so what we need to do to motivate each other in church is that all of us, I don't care how long you've been a Christian or how mature you think you are, we all need to come along beside each other and be partners and support and champion each other's lives and help each other move forward in Jesus. But you've got to start by asking questions. So I brought an illustration today that I hope will help you. Anybody know what this is? 
Correct. This is a tulip. Now, I'm going to ask you something here because we got all kinds of people in the room. How many of you are good at taking care of plants? You got the green thumb, right? So you know how to do it. Okay, so here's the other question, though. How many of you are plant killers? Your, the pattern of your life is that you murder plants. Bunch of teens. You need this lesson. Okay. All right. So here's the thing that we understand. If you know anything at all, and I don't know anything at all, I don't even try anymore. I've killed, so I've killed every living thing except the humans that live with me. I've done good with them so far. But anyway, I've killed everything that plant that's ever been in our house. So I just let Mary Kay deal with that. Because here's the thing. You, know, you don't have to be very smart to know that all plants, plants are all different. And they have different needs. And some of them need a lot of sunlight. And some of them don't need any sunlight. And some of them need certain kind of fertilizers. And some of them need nothing. And some of them need a lot of water. And some of them need a little water. And some of them need water often. And some of them not so often. And so it's, it's right. And so you know what's great? The only hope that many of us would have is they put a little thing. These are called care instructions. So I went and picked this up at Trader Joe's this morning, six ninety nine. if you want to buy one for your wife, for Valentine's Day, Bob. Gee, thanks, yes. Mary Kay's not impressed. She's thinking roses, not a couple of tulip bulbs. But anyway, so this says on here, I would have no idea how to take care of this tulip. It says here, why, why is this print so small? It's, it's so sad, isn't it? I mean, it's the same thing with pillboxes. You ever try to, I mean, they have a big bold letters, you know, do not misuse your prescription, you know, do not misuse this could cause serious injury or death. And then you try to read what it says below it. And it's in such small, I, I, can't, I can't read it with my glasses. I can't read it without my glasses. So like, what's going to kill me here? Well, it's evidently the same thing with tulips. So, Tulips. Can you, just, can you just read what it says about sunlight, Dallas? Sunlight? Oh. Bright light or full to partial sun is ideal. Grows best in sunny locations. Well, not this time of year. Okay. And then what does it say about temperature? Cool temperature are ideal. 65 to 70 degrees Fahrenheit, 18 to 21 Celsius, daytimes, avoid excessive hot areas. Nice. And then what about watering? Moderately mo- uh, moist soil is preferred. Allow soil surface to dry before watering thoroughly. Remove wrap or decor before watering. Okay. Thank you very much, Dallas. Thank you. Thank you. So I have some prescription medicines at my house. I'm going to need you to come over and uh, if I call you or text you, how fast can you get there? Is he driving yet? He is driving. Good. Is he driving the BMW? Oh, no, no, no. He's not driving that. No, I didn't think so. Anyway, um, so here's the thing. 
At least with a plant, there's hope because there's care instructions. But here's the point if you hadn't gotten it already. I said it two weeks ago that people are like snowflakes. They're all unique. We're also like plants. The problem is none of us come with care instructions. Right? So that's why you ask questions. That's why you interest. And actually, these kind of questions. Tell me about your life. Tell me your story. What do you think? What do you feel? What do you want? These are the kind of questions that show people you care. And if you haven't figured it out yet, love is the greatest motivator of all. And if we don't love one another, we're not going to be able to help each other, not motivate each other. But I'm telling you, if you don't stop, and if you don't ask, and if you don't ask good questions to get to know this person, then you're not, they're not gonna, you're not gonna know how to help them. They're not gonna feel loved. Is this making sense to you? And, you know, it's, uh, it's probably not gonna go where we wanna go. These kind of questions where we share our hearts and our dreams, they, 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 those are the deeper questions. That's what connects us. That's what gives us relationships where we can move each other. So that's where we start. The point is simple. Motivate each other in our faith by asking good questions. And that's where you got to start. Jesus asked other questions. If you know, you think about Jesus, maybe you know or you don't know. Uh, one time he asked a man he, that was been a cripple for all of his life, most of his life, do you want to get well? Well, that's a stupid question. Is it? One time there's these blind men that were yelling at Jesus as you go along the road, and the disciples would say, shut up, leave Jesus alone, he's busy. And he walked on the road, and he stopped anyway, because uh, Jesus was that guy he cared, and he walked over to him. And you know what he asked him? What do you want me to do for you? Does that seem like an odd question to blind men who are calling out? Jesus got his disciples together one time. He says, what does everybody say about me? What what's people think about me? What's their opinion about me? And then Ryan says, well, what do you think? What do you say about me? These are the kind of questions that generate conversation and connection. Here's the last thing I would mention that's so interesting to me about the power of questions and the importance of questions is that every, all those questions that Jesus asked, whether it's 100 or 300, however many it was, he already knew the answer to all those questions before he asked it. Think about that. He's the Son of God. He knows. I don't want to scare you, but whatever you're thinking or not thinking about right now, Jesus knows. Whatever sin you're in or not in, Jesus knows. That can be alternately encouraging or occasionally terrifying. Jesus already knows the answers to all these questions. Yet he still thinks it's important to have a conversation with people 
where he gives them a chance to share what they think and what they feel and what's on their heart. And this is the beginning in many ways of love. If you're not the kind of person that's willing to invest time with people, and sometimes it's going to take you an afternoon to, to go through those, to have those kind of questions. If you're not going to invest and you don't care to listen, then let me say something to you. I'm going to be as nice about this as I possibly can. You are never going to love people like Jesus did. And so, this is a good place to start. This is the place to start. Sort of an obvious point here. What if we, what if we talked less and we listened more? Sounds like the Bible, doesn't it? Quick to listen, slow to speak. What if we didn't assume that we already did? You know, some of us that have been in the faith a long time, this is a big problem for us. Because we've been with people and we've been getting people, especially people like me who have been in the ministry. We've been in leadership a long time. And we sit down with somebody and even before we sat down or after two minutes we sat down. So I got this one figured out. I know your problem. Here's your problem. Here's what you need to do to fix it. What if we took the time to listen? And you know, when I've done that, I haven't always done that, but when I've done that, I have frequently found out that all of my assumptions were wrong. I mean, I've assumed Dallas was a bad kid for a long time. And then he walked up here and volunteered and came up and read. I like him now. And so, let me just suggest to you, it's simple, it's, it's motivation in the school of Jesus. It's one thing, start here. My, this week, you get with somebody else and you want to encourage them in their faith, and it might be somebody who's not yet a Christian, and it might be somebody who is a Christian, it might be a new relationship, it might be somebody you've known for 20 years. Just consider how, before you go to that time together, and your meeting together, think about what are some questions you could ask them that would help both of you to connect and for you to understand and know their heart and perhaps be able to help them in ways that you would never be able to help them otherwise? So do that this week. And keep doing it. Every time you get with somebody, before you get with them, what are the questions that I can ask? In sincerity, just to get to know them better and to know their heart and understand them and connect them in the hopes that I can help to motivate them in their faith. Sound good? Let's pray together. God, thank you for the example of Jesus. Thank you that he shows us so clearly here where to start in helping each other motivating each other in our faith. I pray that we can be a church and a people with each other and with our friends that are not yet Christians where we can just love enough to care what people think and feel and you know what's going on in their life and really ask and really listen. Help us to be the people that can really help people like Jesus wants us to, like Jesus did. In his name we pray. Amen. Have a great rest of the day.